podcast. Everything you never needed to know about movies, music, and theater. I am your host, Matt. And like I've been promising, I'm bringing back some of our favorite guests, uh, people. And uh, this is going to be the third third in this particular series talking about um, musical theater and musical theater songs and idioms of the sort. Um, but I'm going to bring back my old friend, uh, Disney enthusiast and uh, musical enthusiast, musical theater enthusiast, uh, Carson. Carson, great to see you again. Great to see you. Thank you for having me back. Of course. It's a lot of fun and you haven't been on for a while. So, you know, it's, I know. About, it's about high time we took care of that. Um, <laughs> But um, we're, uh, Carson is here tonight with her expertise, as always, of musical theater binality. That's right. Tonight we're going to be talking about the I Want song. So just so people understand where this is coming from, you know, in that part of the musical where a character blatantly tells what they want and they spend the entire night trying to get that? That's what an I Want song is. It is, that is just as simple as that. I want this. I'm going to get this. There's going to be things in the way, but that comes with conflict, and that is structure of a musical. If a character does not want something, you do not have a musical. Um, is that pretty, pretty, pretty <laughs> standard? Say. Yeah, um, I try to make things as easy as possible. But um, and I know for a fact that between Carson and I, we have a great list for you. But we've been going back and forth for a little bit today because we couldn't get our list, list down to um, what we wanted. And in fact, there were some, at the time of the initial list, three songs matched on Carson and my list. But because I decided that we were, Carson would be talking about those, I have removed those from my list. So our lists are completely different. So you'll be hearing uh, uh, 20 different songs from the beginning to end so that you don't get bored. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, Carson, you ready? I'm ready. Let's dive in. Let's do this, motherfucker. All right, we're going to start with Carson's honorable mentions. Uh, her first honorable mention coming at you on the podcast. Everything you, you never need to know about movies, music, and theater coming at you. <laughs> Dear God, you made many, many poor people. I realize, of course, that it's no shame to be poor. But it's no great honor either. So what would have been so terrible if I had... A small fortune. If I were a rich man, all day long I'd biddy biddy bum. If I were a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work hard. If I so for those who don't know what's playing right now, where have you been? Uh, this is uh, If I Were a Rich Man, probably the, I would say the most iconic song from the score, uh, which is from Fiddler on the Roof, uh, written by uh, Sheldon Harnick and Jerry Bach and Joseph Stein. Um, so this is the quintessential I Want song. If I Were a Rich Man. I want to be rich, and this is what I would do with the, my time. It's a quaint little song. Carson, talk to me about this one and why it made okay. an honorable mention. So this is on my honorable mention because this is technically an I want song. If you ask any theater geek what an I want song is, this is probably one of the prime examples that they would show. However, I have a slight bone to pick with this being an I want song because yes, he wants to be rich, but that is not the central problem of the show as it unfolds from there. 
that song is usually, I want this thing, let me try to get it, this is what gives us the conflict of the show. He doesn't try to be rich, that his money isn't a huge conflict in the show. So it's kind of a funny I want song, but it is just such the quintessential I want song. So it hit the, it hit the honorable mention list just because I couldn't not have it on there, but I have a slight bone to pick with it being categorized as an I want song. I can see that. I can completely understand that. If I'm not mistaken, uh, Spotify has um, some playlists, and one of them I think is I Want Songs from Broadway Musicals. And oh, of course they do. They <laughs> I know. Um, all right, moving on to Carson's next honorable mention list. This actually was on my top list, but I took it off because I knew we would be talking about it here, and other things seem to push it uh, up against it. So uh, here we go. I've always had the hope that on the day I go to heaven, Heavenly Father will shake my hand and say, You've done an awesome job, Kevin. Now it's our time to go out and set friend. the world's people free. And we can do it together, you and me, but mostly me. So this is You and Me, But Mostly Me from the Book of Mormon, uh, written by Trey Parker, Matt Stone, and Robert Lopez. The South Park Boys wrote a musical. If you didn't know that, then what are you doing here? Um, actually, uh, Chris Rock had a really good joke the, the night that this was uh, nominated for Best Musical. He came out and he said, all right, here are the nominees. I mean, we know what's going to win. This is like taking, this is so anticlimactic. It's like taking a hooker to dinner. You know you're going to get laid. <laughs> but uh, Book of Mormon by the uh, South Park Boys with the guy who wrote the music to Avenue Q, later writing uh, uh, Frozen. All of this sounds very um, wicked. It sounds very like a, another song that comes on our list later. Um, sure. <laughs> but, um, uh, good pick. It was on my pick too. It's one I think about because it's it's um, uh, you know Andy Reynolds. Andy Reynolds, who's singing the lead, is basically I want to do something great. I'm going to do this amazing thing, and Josh Gad's sitting there going, I'm just going to stand and watch him. And in a sense, that's what they end up doing. But yeah, it gets complicated. But you know what have you? Uh, talk to me about this one and why this is on your honorable mention list. So this one is also a great I want song. And it actually does fit into the I want. It is what one of the central character wants. It set both central characters. It sets up some conflict. Um, but the person who becomes our like real focus is not the focus of this song. So again, just like on a clerical thing, I slid it into honorable mentions. Honestly, mostly because just other stuff kind of eked it out on the top 10 list, but it is such a good song. No, it is one of the better ones. Again, it sounds like Wicked to me, but I, you love it for that reason. It does. Um, all right, let's go right to uh, Carton's next uh, honorable mention. Blue Moon is brewed with... Not Blue Moon. <laughs> For a whole lot of years, you might say that I've been expecting. But I always made sure I didn't expect too much. I sat around on my potential. And now that I have heard this news, 
It's released all these possibilities And all I've got to do is choose I want it all I want it all I want a whole female experience in the ball I want it all I want the morning sickness and the elation I want all right, so this is from this is I want it all from Baby. Carson has done the unbelievable thing of putting on the list a song and a musical I actually know nothing about. Um, I do know David Shire and uh, uh, Richard Mulby Jr. wrote the music and the lyrics. Simple Pearson wrote the book. I know this is Liz uh, Calloway singing the lead. That's all I know. Carson, take it away. That's all you need to know, and even that's probably a little too much. This is a god-awful show. This is a bad show. I did this show in college, and the reason that this song is on my honorable mentions is I had a funny experience doing this show in college. Good God, we all wanted to die. It's bad. But the fact that it's an I want song that literally just says, I want it all. You could not be more on the nose if you tried. This is a very weird show about three or four, I can't remember, women who all find out they're pregnant at the same time. They're all at different stages of their life. And what does it mean to bring a baby into the world? One was a college kid who didn't expect to get pregnant. One is a woman who is on fertility treatments who's trying so hard to get pregnant. And so it's only three. And one who is a mom. She's had her kids. She's much older. She was not expecting another kid. Holy crap, she's pregnant. And then is that going to save her marriage? Because now that she's an empty nester, she and her husband don't get along anymore and they don't talk anymore. And it's a weird show. We have a weird light show that simulates birth at the end. Anyone thinking of seeing it, you can skip it. Just skip it. But the song I Want It All is just such a funny quintessential I Want song. So that is why it is here. The music is actually pretty decent. I like the music. The music doesn't stink. There's another one called um, in this soundtrack called The Fatherhood Blues, which is actually a really sweet song about a guy being nervous about being a dad. Cute song, terrible show. Which is very interesting because I know Richard Mulpey Jr. co-wrote the lyrics to Miss Saigon, which is a great musical. And yeah. Simple, Simple Pearson wrote the book to Giant with Michael John Accuser, which is a brilliant show. Yeah, this was just a, a really kind of cool concept. And especially like in the era that it came about, it was a cool idea. They just missed at every single thing they aimed at. <laughs> Makes sense. All right. And Carson's last audible mention coming at you on the podcast. Um, this one, I will say, almost made my list. It was just that close. Understandable. Um, double commercials. I hate YouTube. I just hear an alarm start ringing Did I see sirens go flying past Though I don't know what tomorrow bringing I got a singular impression Things are moving too fast I'm gliding smooth as a figure skater I'm riding hot as a rocket blast just expected ten years later. I got a singular impression. Things are moving too fast. 
All right, so we've got Moving Too Fast. This is from um, last five years. Um, I intentionally put the uh, musical soundtrack. Um, Jeremy Joyne is wonderful in the movie soundtrack. I mean, that soundtrack is very, very good. I like Norbert Leo Butt singing this way better for some reason. I don't know, just me. Um, See, I'm, I'm with you. I like Norbert Leo Butt singing this better, but I like Anna Kendrick singing the female part better. I will say that, but but their age difference is a little creepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, that and, would be and, weird. And, and, I, and I will also say the song later, um, Miracle Can Happen. I, I enjoy the fact that Norbert Leo Butt says, um, um, and I'll be I'll be there and happening. I'll, I'll be there and crawling as, until Random House fuck until Random Hop stops fucking calling or whatever. I hate the fact <laughs> that they cut the fucking in the in the movie version. Only gripe about the movie. I think the movie is brilliant. I think he did a great yeah. job in the movie. Um, but yeah, um, moving too fast. This is also an audition piece for me. I've used it a bunch of times because I can actually sing this. Decent, decently to the point where I actually might actually get work, but um, <laughs> and it's this one's interesting that you put this one on your honorable mention. This is the guys I want uh, mm-hmm. a song because in the last five years, it's the girl going backwards and the guy going forwards. Mm-hmm. No, um, yeah, going forwards in the uh, relationship, and you see it from different points of view, which is very interesting. Carson, talk to me about this one. So this one is on honorable mention. Um, Because as Matt kind of alluded to, there are technically two I Want songs in this show. Because you are actually, the last five years is two different stories going in different directions and they kind of collide. Um, And I had the guy's song and the girl song and I love them both. But I kind of just didn't want two songs from the same show in my official top 10. And I just prefer the girl song just a little bit more. and I also sympathize with her a little bit more. It's so funny to talk to people who see this show. It's like, who do you sympathize with? It is like a character analysis right there. Um, so he he made the honorable mention because he sucks. Um, I'm kidding. But yeah, I just didn't want two songs from the same show on the actual list, but they're both great songs and they're both I want songs. Yeah, I gotta give it to Jason Robert Brown because he could have easily made the guy the focus since he's the standard musical going from beginning to end and the, if you see the, the the girl going backwards and you can imagine uh that it would be one-sided but he actually writes the woman very fully developed in her own way to the point where you get to the end you really feel uncomfortable um fighting with the guy because of all the shit he's, he has i mean he's an egotistical, egotistical narcissistic uh, uh prick which to a certain extent, I wonder if Jason R. Brown was at this one point in his life. <laughs> I can see it. You could do a whole episode just on this show because some this show has so much in it. I am going to um, at some I'm going to at some point because I love this musical. It's one of my favorite musicals of all time. I, I'm volunteering myself. I'm like voluntolding myself to come back for that one because I love this show. You're booked. You're booked. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll maybe we'll do it. We'll record it like they like they would, and I'll just do it backwards. <laughs> God, that would be confusing. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Um, all right, so great honorable mention list. Uh, let me go to my first uh, uh, honorable mention. Uh, 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 my honorable mentions, excuse me. I'm excited for yours. Yeah, because you have to imagine, you have to get into my head, which Carson knows me pretty well to know what I'd be thinking. But. Think about me. 
and care even less. How could you understand? I am tenacious. You plundered our wisdom, our knowledge, our wealth. In bleeding us dry, you long for our spirit, but that you will never possess. Okay, any of my listeners out there who are anti-Aida the musical, just get get the fuck off now. I don't even want to hear. I second that. (laughs) I love this musical so much, and. Are there parts that are terribly written in this musical? Totally. Does the book fall flat on some of the things? Absolutely. But this score is the one of the best scores Ellen John has ever written for the theater. I will even say I like the score way better than Billy Elliot. I'll say that. Um, and the only reason this is on the honorable mention is because one of the things that happens with lyrics, lyrics sometimes is that... Um, they, tr- they, they seem to be, they try to be a little too clever and show how clever they are. Uh, Sontag, Stephen Sondheim talks about how I Feel Pretty is a, is a song that a, a uh, 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 Hispanic girl would never sing ever unless she was written by Noel Coward. So um, <laughs> to me, some of the language in this is very, and some of the metaphors in this is very, Tim Rice being clever and it's well done and she pulls it off to the extent that she can and the only reason this is so low is because of that but everything she says is 100% correct all she cares about is her people she's trying to and then she's trying to find a place in the world for herself this is a quintessential I want song I want freedom for my people but I also want to be able to exist and matter in this world Carson you had an interesting reaction when this came on. Tell me about that. That was an I'm mad I didn't think to put this on my own list face. Is, yeah, this, this absolutely should be on my list and I'm mad at myself that I forgot it. I'm also in the camp of, I really like this show. Um, yes, the book does fall flat in a few places. There are some pacing issues. Like you said, this is a show built for a very strong black woman written by a white man so there's only you're only gonna get so great with that um but the music is great and at its heart the story is really good yeah, yeah. and you have some amazingly developed characters too there's a lot of amazing developed characters in this one um yeah and it's on the list it's right there with um I, you've never heard my tirade about Dance of the Vampires, but it's right up there with Dance of the Vampires in High Fidelity as a musical that I would want to rewrite myself to make it actually work and not just be great songs in a so-so book. All right, going to my next honorable mention. You're out of work. Your pride is missing. They call you jerk, but you don't listen. You haven't got a pot to piss in. But you're a man. Your hands are rough. Your back is hairy. Your talk is tough. Your 
smell is scary. Here's what you're not. You're not a fairy. No, you're a beer drinking real life man. Okay, so <laughs> this is Man, which is from the musical Full Monty, which was written by David Yazbek and Terence McNally, based on the movie for the Full Monty, which was a British musical, a British movie rather, about working class guys who um, basically bear it all, as they say. Um, I love this musical so much. This was really, to be honest, this was really the first musical that I heard that was different, that you could have, have fun and you could play around with the songs and the music. Um, a lot of musicals, I mean, even Rent to a certain extent, take themselves very, very seriously and they live within this world. And there is a little bit of humor, but it's mostly very dramatic. You know, Les Miserables, Phantom of the Opera, there's very little room for actual humanity and comedy. Um, Full Monty was the first time I saw a musical and heard a musical that I was like, oh, this sounds like now. This sounds really weird and really kind of different. And I don't even, at the time they said, oh, it's a rock musical, but I don't consider this a rock musical. It's more of a jazz kind of um, uh, independent musical. And the fact that this was the very first musical David Yazbek wrote after coming off of working on uh, David Letterman's show for so long, writing the song, uh, co-writing the song, um, Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? And then he elevated it to further musicals and to finally win his Tony for the band's visit. I mean, this is an amazing beginning. And they they compared this to um, when Burt Bacharach did Promises, Promises. They were looking for something that audacious. And um, I have listened to more David Yazbek stuff and it's really good. And also the fact that he throws in this kind of man anthem and the guy he's writing with, you know, Terrence McNally, gay man, allowed him to put, you're not a fairy in this musical. I gotta give it to Terrence McNally. He, you know, he definitely didn't take himself seriously a lot. Um, Carson, you heard this for the first time. Do you have any thoughts on Full Monty and Man? I, I don't know this show as well as I should, and I'm kicking myself because I had an opportunity to see it, and I, I did too. I did too. And I'm mad at myself, but no, this is a this is a great pick. It's a great song. Yeah, yeah. In the show, he he he's actually trying to get money so that he can actually get back on his feet and be able to see his son more because he's a divorced father, um, the Patrick Wilson character. So there is actually reason and there is a heart to this musical. And it's quite interesting. In fact, the father-son song, you'd think it's all sentimental. Breeze Off the River is nothing like what you'd expect a father and son song to be like. It really is quite amazing. Um, all right, we're going to go to this next one here. I'm really interested to see what Carson thinks about this one being on my list. I'm excited. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna find out in a minute once this ad gets through done playing. I, I apparently I should buy L.L. Bean. Oh, it's an ad. Oh, I forgot about this. It's an ad for the new Mighty Ducks reboot series that's happened that's coming on Disney Plus. I'm so excited. I'm so excited for that one. Oh, I'm so excited. The fact that it, and Emilio Estevez is back. Oh I know. He actually looks good. He actually it looks does, good. shockingly. Oh, all right, here we go.
This is Arlington Hill, uh, which is from Passing Strange, uh, which is a musical written by Stu and uh, Heidi Rodewall. I had mentioned this musical before, and I need to mention this musical more because I realize how much I love this show. Uh, it tells the story about a youth, no name, just youth, who's trying to find his way in life he's being raised by a single mom they don't really talk they don't really have any kind of emotion i mean they have mother and son but they don't really have an emotional connection and they don't talk about things and he kind of feels like he's living he doesn't know what he's doing one day at church at the baptist church he just feel something through the music and he decides he's going to he needs to search for the real it's not until arlington hill that he really gets on this journey by his pastor saying that you need to go elsewhere you can't learn it where you where we are you have to go somewhere else and you have to learn and you have to find the real and his entire journey is basically i need to find this real not realizing like everything else the real is actually here he just needs to stop bullshitting people and stop you know fucking around um like most of us young kids um, realize when we're 30 and we're like fuck um i love this musical so much and the reason why it's kind of strange is because the cast sings the songs but the band also sings a song and it's sung by a narrator who in the original version is Stu. um who is singing right now and playing the electric guitar it's a rock musical and i love it i love it carson any thoughts on uh, passing strange and arlington hill this is one that kind of has come into my life more recently i did not i didn't know about it i didn't hadn't heard much about it and it literally it came up on shuffle when i was shuffling through a random show tunes playlist and i think it was actually this song that i'm like huh kind of want to hear more so i'm actually really glad this is on your list because this is a more recent find for me and i i love it too it's a great musical and if you're looking for it um spike lee actually did a um filmed live version of the last three shows before it closed on broadway with the original cast the original everything so it, it does exist um passing strange movie like it kind of filmed like um rent live on broadway so um it is out there if you want to find it. i think it's on amazon prime if you if you're looking but it's it's worth a it's worth a watch um all right here's my last honorable mention again we'll see what carson thinks about my uh my choices in life <laughs> oh little person with eyes so sad where in the dark did they hide you what have you seen that could teach you that haunted stare poor little creature it makes me childhood denied you but give me a chance and we'll make it all right I okay so this is home f- uh, a home for you which was from bat boy the musical um, Bad Boy the Musical, Musical Lyrics by Lawrence O'Keefe, uh, basically tells the story of a, uh, a town that discovers a boy that was living in a cave, 
was a uh, is a bat child and ends up uh, uh, um, uh, trying to ingratiate himself within the society and con constantly uh, being pushed against a wall because turns out he's a vampire and he needs blood to live and uh, people use that against him for his um, for their own precarious uh, uh, situations. I don't want to give much more than that because it's very intricate. It's a very interesting musical. Um, I love this musical. I really do. I discovered it. Actually, funny enough, I discovered it when I was in high school. Um, and I actually, uh, our local uh, college, well, Sam State College, actually did it. And I actually went there. Um, I actually took a date there. That was really interesting. Uh, saw Bat Boy as a musical, as a date at Sam State College, or university now, excuse me. Um, but I love this. I actually got to meet the um, composer um, which is another whole story, but that's, that's, I, I, I have a soft spot for Lawrence O'Keefe. Carson, any thought about, uh, uh, Bat Boy? This is a fun show. I, I am a little surprised this is on your list, and, but knowing how your history of the show and remembering, you know, you were into this in high school. That makes sense. Um, this is, it's a cute show. It is a weird show, <laughs> but it's really good. I can see how this made it on your list. <laughs> it's really weird it's really weird um but yeah um yeah okay all right so this is our honorable mentions we're gonna go to top 10 for carson our number 10 coming at you and this one was specific Today's home is dead if i die it won't be from sitting it'll be from fighting to get up and get out some people can get up Okay, so this is a classic, classic. Some people. Um, this is from Gypsy. Um, music and lyrics by um, uh, uh, Jules Stein and the and Stephen Sondheim. I'm looking at the list and realizing actually there's not a lot of Stephen Sondheim on this. I think this is the only one. Um, wow. Really fascinating. And being sung right now by uh, Patti Lapone from the 2008 Broadway cast. Um, please talk to me about this one, Carson. This one I love because it's it is one of those quintessential classic I want songs. You Google top ten I want songs. This is definitely on every list, if not close to the top of people's like this is the quintessential I want. Um I love it. I love her version because of the see you hear in her voice. Um, Bernadette Peters did a fantastic job. It was kind of I was choosing between if which version I liked better of itself is just such a driving force and the energy of it pours us into the show and just drives the rest of the show um so yeah between the energy and the message and just kind of how classic it is in terms of its place in history was 
why it made my list. Yeah, um, I told Carson this off air, but I got to see Bernadette Peters in the version of Gypsy that I saw, and it was fantastic. She was wonderful. Um, I actually got to meet her. Lovely woman, very lovely woman. Um, and if anyone's ever seen uh, the, the TV show uh, Mozart in the Jungle, that woman's hot. For the age she's at, oh my God. You're not wrong. I'm not wrong. That's why I no. said it. I'm not wrong on my own podcast, damn it. <laughs> you make the rules here. Make the rules. This is my world. You just live in it. All right. All right. Coming up next on my number 10. Here we go. So excited to hear your list. Why, when you see boys fight, does it look so horrible yet? feel so right I shouldn't watch this crap that's not who I am but with this kid damn hey Mr. No Name Kid so who might you be and could you fight for me and hey could you face the crowd could you be seen with me and still act proud? Hey. Okay. Fight for Me, which is from Heather's The Musical. I was only recently reminded of this musical during one of my last recordings uh, with my friend Amelia Smith, and I realized. I forgot how much I love this musical, so much so that I wish I could go back to the openings and put beautiful in 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 the spot because that has such a wonderful, beautiful song. Um, it's surprising, I know, but I love the Heathers. Um, in this part, uh, uh, the, our main character is really stating how she wants someone to protect her, which is very interesting because she is very independent and that she wants a partner in 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 the world and she doesn't really get it at the end but she, but what she finds out is she finds out that she can she is able to do all these things on her own and she doesn't need a man to to do it which is wonderful um to me wonderful feminism i may be wrong but that's just my thought on that um carson i loved your reaction to this um talk to me about this <laughs> about Heather's The Musical surprises me. The fact that it was made surprises me. Take any 80s movie. Ask me which one's getting made into a musical. Heather's would not have been in there. And you liking this show, again, surprises me a little. It is a decent show. It is a confusing show. Mainly because I still have no idea how it got made. It is such a buzz. It was a wackadoo concept for a movie. It is a wackadoo concept for a show. But it works, and I'm not mad about it. It does work. And again, I have to explain the fact that my love for the two writers, one of them coming from Reefer Madness, the other coming, you know, Lawrence O'Keefe, I love this man. I will never not love this man. Um, I met him at Harvard Square when I went to a uh, concert with my then girlfriend, uh, uh, and I got to meet the man. And he was so lovely and so wonderful and so humble. And I was like... 
I feel like I, I, it was like one of those times you got to meet your heroes and they actually met your expectations and you were actually greeted by them. And I said, oh yeah, I'm 13 years old. I'm a songwriter. He says, what's your name again? And I told him and he says, I'll try to remember that because when you get big, I want to say I knew him. I knew him when. And I was like, this guy is amazing. This guy is absolutely amazing. So wonderful. So I cannot say enough about Lawrence O'Keefe. He is a down-to-earth man, down-to-earth person, and a wonderful uh, uh, composer. Um, yeah. All right. We're going to go to Carson's number nine. Coming at you. Just our quality. Fill me up with your heat, with your noise, with your dirt, over dare me. Let me dance to your feet, make it loud, let it hype, run it through me. Don't hold back, you are certain to impress. Tell the driver this is where I'm staying. Okay, so Buenos Aires. Uh, this version is the 1979 version uh, from Evita. Uh, sung again by Miss Patty Lapone. She comes up a lot on your list. She does. <laughs> uh, written by Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice, um, telling the story of Ava Perone and her rise to essentially running Argentina. Um, Juan Perone. Ron, Ron, Juan Perone was in charge. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> kind of did. Um, very interesting choice, I will say. It is a I want song. She this at this point she has been. Uh, uh, she is coming to our, uh, Buenos Aires with her uh, man. Um, I can't think of his name right now. We had just gone through the uh, Ava Beware the City, introducing it, but this is her like, really, I want to do this. I want to go, blah, 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 blah. Um, Carson, talk to me about why this is on your list. This is on my list because I love this show. Love this show. Um, just like you were saying with another one of your picks, it's like, I wish I could go back to previous lists and put more of this show in my previous lists because I think it's amazing. Um, I like this one. I like the energy because it's a weird one where this is kind of the highest energy we have in the show, which is, well, you, the highest energy we get from Evita. Yes. the highest energy of the show. This is the highest energy we ever see of this character. She gets a whole lot of what she wants. She gets a ton of what she wants and then some. Slightly destroying a country as she goes, but hey, she got what she needed. Um, <laughs> I just, I love the energy of this. I kind of love how this is kind of a foreshadowing of her character and the fact that in terms of her solo, this is that peak energy driving. Her energy kind of fades just much like in life. Spoiler, Ava Perone had cancer and died and faded away and was very sick towards the end of her life. Um, so you kind of feel that fade in her character just like she had in her life. And I think this song is a cool kickoff to that like subtle underplot point. Um, I like that you corrected yourself because I'm pretty sure when the money rolls in is is another high point of this musical. It is rainbow and, high is like this this song. Che actually has a ton of high energy songs, 
again, kind of a metaphor of the Argentinian people rising up against the Peronistas and all that shit that went on. Argentina was a mess for a while. Um, But yeah, it's kind of, yeah. I'm like, "Mm, strike that. There's a little bit more of energy. I I, I think I might also have you come back for Evita too, because I love Evita as well. I love this musical. I think it's the, I think it's close to if not just a little bit higher for me than Jesus Christ of the Star as a masterpiece for the partnership of, of Andrew Weber and Tim Rice. Yeah. Um, Jesus Christ just that much just because I was I was raised Catholic, but Evita yeah. is that much close because also I'm I'm not from Argentina, but I'm from Guatemala, so the music and the culture is very kind of special to me. Yeah. Um, so I can I- see that. Much like any like nerdy teenager slash early twenties person does, you fall in love with something and you research the hell out of it. I know way more about Ava Peron's life than any sane person who's not an Argentinian historian probably should. So I would be happy to come back and talk about Evita. Or or who's also Tim Rice because I know he did two years of, of research for this. He and I could kick back and chat for hours. <laughs> I mean, I would chat with Tim Rice, but it wouldn't be about the research he did for Vita. It'd be, how did you... My dorky ass would. <laughs> See, I would ask him about chess. I would ask him about, you know, how did Fair. you do such and such, you know? Um, but, you know, that's my dorky ass. Um, <laughs> all right, we're going to go now to my number uh, 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 nine. Here we come. But I'm dating a semi-sadist. So I got a black eye and my arms in a cast. Still, that scene was a cutie. Well, if not, he's good enough, beauty. And I dream of a place where we could be together and live. What kind of a place is that, honey? An emergency room? Oh no, it's just a daydream of mine. A little developed. Okay, so for those who don't realize what's playing right now, uh, Somewhere That Scream. This is from Little Shop of Horrors, written by Alan Menken and Howard Ashman. Uh, this particular version is with the original uh, Audrey, uh, Ellen Green, on the off-Broadway version, uh, 1982. Um, this, to me, is a quintessential I Want song. And... Uh, Howard Ashman has explained it as such that in every musical, this is how he's always explained somewhere that's green. In every musical, a woman sits down on something, whether it's the pillars in uh, um, uh, My Fair Lady, whether it's wherever she sits down in Bring a Dune, but she sits down, she sings a song about what she wants, and you spend the entire rest of the night rooting for her to. Um, to achieve that and he says the only difference is in this song she wants a microwave she wants a toaster oven she wants she wants easy things she wants the home garden network basically in her room she wants to be able to watch i love lucy with her two kids and see more and what have you and when you know little shop of horrors and you know how this is going how it ends it's even more heartbreaking because she does not this in a way in a way though she says i want i want to be somewhere that's green she ends up somewhere that's green being fed to a plant so she technically gets what she wants but not to the extent that she 
did. The other thing I love about this uh, song is that this was the precursor to like part of your world and uh, Belle reprise, like the, the heroine singing. In fact, so much so that on the Little Mermaid uh, production, they used to call that song part of your world somewhere that's wet. Um, and I love Howard Ashman. I will always love Howard Ashman, regardless of what he was like in real life. I, I never got to meet him, and I w always wish I could have gotten to meet him. Uh, Carson, talk to me about this one. This one is a good one, and gosh, you're right. She did end up somewhere that's green. So be careful what you wish for. Things like, oh, word that a little bit better there, honey. <laughs> this one's a good one, and it is, it is that I want song where you're like, oh, we're rooting for you. We're so rooting for you. It's not going to happen, but oh, boy, I wish it did. What do you think of it? She's getting beat up by Oren, the dentist. Yep. She loves Seymour. We all know she deserves to be with Seymour. <laughs> they don't get it. They don't get no. it. it is, this, is, this is a funny show. This is, it's a good show. It's not like a great show like you think of like, oh, that's a great piece of theater. But this is a good show that tells a really interesting story. And it breaks your heart because all of these people are just trying so desperately to get what they want, to have what they want. And what is not that hard? It should not be this difficult for all of these people who you're rooting for. And it just goes so wrong. Mm, yeah. Have you watched the, um, I don't know if you have Disney Plus, but have you seen the Howard Ashman documentary? I have not. I do have Disney Plus, of course. I have not watched it. Carson, you really need to see it. And it's... Put that on the list. Let me put you this way. Just prepare yourself. Prepare yourself and uh, your partner because when I watched it, I could not stop crying at the end. I really oh. could not stop oh. crying. It made me love that man way more than even I loved him before, which is saying oh. something. I know. That's hard to do. <laughs> right? Yeah. Anyway. All right. Carson's number eight, coming at you. Heart, don't fail me now. Courage, don't desert me. Don't turn back now that we're here. People always say life is Choices no one ever mentions So this is Journey to the Past um, from Anastasia the Musical. This is the musical staged version. We're not we're not talking about the animated version. Um, there is no Rasputin. Chris, Chris, Chris Lloyd is not in this musical, and there's no Jim Steinman sounding rock song that would blow the place off. <laughs> but it was written by Stephen Flaherty and Lynn Ahrens with um, Terrence McNally, I believe, doing the book. I think it was one of his last books before he uh, um, passed. Um, from COVID, so huh, anyone who, who thinks COVID is a joke, fuck you. Um, all right. Okay. Um, I don't know much about Anastasia, so I can't 
I won't speak too much about it. I do like the song. Go ahead. Um, so this is on here, and it's funny because as a rule, I'm not usually a huge fan of movies that we then just turn into musicals because the movie was really popular, so let's turn it into a musical. I'm looking down at my list, and I have more than a few movies that have been turned into musicals. And I'm starting to realize that I can't say that anymore because some of them are being done really well, um, especially with Anastasia. I didn't have to do much. This was a nostalgic treasure for especially our generation. They could have slapped something together and gotten away with it. And a lot of people would have seen it and it would have made money and you would have brought your kids to it and it would have been easy. They actually put some work into this and I, I really like it. This song specifically, it's, it's pretty much copy paste from the movie. It's not exactly copy paste in the movie, but especially in this version, the music director, her raw talent, I don't know what it is. She was able to convey such raw emotion and such a broad form of emotion in this song that it really kind of caught me. I'd heard this song on the soundtrack from the movie. I watched the movie a ton as a kid. This was not a new song for me. Um, but when they staged this from the movie into a musical, how she sang this song really caught me. And like we were talking with uh, Somewhere That's Green, it really made me root for her. I know how the story ends. I've seen the movie. Like, I know the history. But it, it hooked me. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm on board. I want to I wanna be on your journey with you. And it's less the song and more specifically her singing of it and how she just pulls you in and the raw fear and hope that you feel going through the song. Yeah, I'll um, 100% agree. I don't, like I said, I didn't grow up with... Um, Anastasia. Um, I was quintessentially a Disney boy, so I didn't watch any animated movies. I never saw Bartok the Magnificent. I kind of saw Secrets of Nim. I, you know, I, I missed a couple of these animated movies, um, so I don't, I didn't have much to it. But the fact that I, when I read that it was going to be made into a musical, I had the same preconceived notions that you had. Cut and paste. It's basically it's going to be Frozen, which Frozen pretty much is the movie. Blah blah blah. Yeah. But then when I started hearing the songs and started realizing that they changed the whole thing and made it much more closer to historical fact and the fact that they they it's it's the same team from Ragtime. It's McNally. It's Lynn Aarons. It's Stephen Flaherty. That they actually came back together for a reason. I was like, I uh, I think this will be good. I saw the the performance on the Tonys. I thought it was really good. And this. I've heard Journey and Journey to the Past. I think I know what it is. The orchestrations are completely different. I hear yeah. them and it does not sound at all the same. So a mixture of musical direction, the vocalist singing and the new orchestrations, Stephen Flaherty, I bet you anything he probably rewrote a little bit of this just to make oh, sure yeah. the, the indents were correct. Um, but good pick, great pick. I love that, I love it. All right, my number eight coming at you. Oh, 
What have I done, sweet Jesus? What have I done? Become a thief in the night, become a dog on the run. Have I fallen so far, and is the hour so late that nothing remains but the cry of my hate, the cries of the dark that nobody hears? Here where I stand at the turning of the years. If there's another way to go, I missed it 20 long years ago. My life was a war that could never be won. They gave me a number and murdered Valjean with the chain me and left me for dead. Just for stealing a mouthful of bread. Yet why did I allow that man? Okay, this is technically Valjean's soliloquy, although on this version it's called the pro- prologue, What Have I Done? This is the moment. So you go through probably 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes of prelude, of a of, uh, uh, prologue where you're learning about Jean Valjean. He's a man who's wrongly imprisoned uh, for stealing a loaf of bread. He escapes a bunch of times. Javert is like, I'm going to see you again, motherfucker, blah, 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 blah. And Jean Valjean finds himself in a, a church and instead of like just accepting the bed and the food that the, the priest gives him, uh, he steals. He's arrested again, brought before the priest and the priest, instead of saying, yeah, he stole from me, he said, no, I gave it to him. You forgot these too, I gave you these as well. And he's given a gift. And this is the point where Jean Valjean says, I'm going to break my parole and start new. It's like the the rebirth of Jean Valjean. I saw this musical when I was nine years old, probably maybe not young enough, but too young maybe to understand what was going on. But it touched me in such a way that I couldn't I could not get this out of my head. There are times when I'm sleeping that this puts me to sleep for some reason. The music just puts me to sleep, and I just because of that beautiful uh, cello and violin uh, bit at the beginning. I love this musical. I will always love this musical. I love this as I want song. There's actually technically another I want song that happens later with um, uh, Fantine and then another I want song that happens with uh, Cosette and uh, uh, Marius. But this is the one we really care about. We really want him to find redemption and find uh, um, the ability to basically say, yeah, I fucked up in my young life, but now I want to do good. Um, person, you got to love this, right? I do. And I'm feeling a little validated because I struggled with my list because I had two men. I had to pare it down. And the reason that I eliminated this is I knew you would have it. Like, okay, this will get discussed no matter what because I know you'll have it. <laughs> so I'm feeling validated. Yeah, no, this is another show with a ton of I Want songs, but this is this is the I Want song that you care about and gets you on board. You're like, yep, him, I'm with him. Whatever he's doing, I'm there. I will say, I hope you're not waiting for any I Want song from Family of the Opera because it ain't on here. <laughs> I did not think it would be. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, good. All right, let's move on to Carson's number seven. <sighs> I know, suck it up. Suck it up, Buttercup. Someone lawyerly. Someone who wears black when nobody's dead. Girls, I have a completely brilliant plan. What you want, Warner, what you want is me. But you need to see me in a brand new domain. Well, it's plain, Warner, in a different 
Anything from her. <laughs> um, written by Lawrence O'Keefe and his wife, uh, uh, Neil uh, Benjamin, based on the movie. Yeah, all these, um, um, all these movie adaptations. Yeah, you're, you you got to stop saying that shit that you've been saying. I know. I I used to say I hated them, and I used to absolutely. Anytime one comes out, I'm super skeptical until I give it a fair shot, but. The next don't time, suck. The next next time I see you post something like that, I'm gonna put the, these lists on and say, "Here's your top ten list." No, I I completely I'm calling myself out on this one. No, nope, I was I can't say that anymore. A lot of these movie adaptations, at least in my eyes, don't suck. Okay, talk to me about this one. Okay, so with Legally Blonde, the musical, in just as a broad stroke, but this song specifically, I may be giving it way more credit than it deserves, and I may be like reading way more into it than I should. But I love this as an I want song because it's not what she wants. She is trying to be someone who someone else wants. And you see her journey through the story, and that's part of her journey. She starts out being like, no, I don't want anything. I want to be what you want. I don't have wants. I just want to be what you want. And as she progresses, you see her evolve, you see her adapt. And there's kind of a second I want song once her characters kind of take the switch, like the switch kind of flips. And she realizes what she really wants and that she gets to want things and she just doesn't have to be a pretty blonde girl who the fashion merchandising. Not that there's anything wrong with fashion merchandising. That's the whole business degree. So they make fun of that degree in this musical. It's not an easy degree to get. But it's it's so funny that they take the I want concept and just kind of flip it on its head and the fact that it fits in so well with the musical and so well with the story and it helps the story evolve and it's really cool and it's a fun song. The music in this is fun. It's not good. It's fun. All that is great. But Legally Blonde, the musical, is the most ridiculous thing you could ever hear. Because if you're thinking about it in terms of musicality, these guys don't sing. Singing is beneath them. They would never sing in their life. There's no reason for them to sing. There's no reason for them to sing. Okay, and I hear you. But it's, it's another one where it's not a great show. When you're looking back in theater history, I will be shocked if Legally Blonde the Musical is mentioned. It shouldn't be. I'm with you there. This should not go down in the history books. But it's a better show than a lot of people give it credit for. I will die on that hill. Back that they take like 10 minutes from the movie and they keep it 10 minutes. This is a 10 minute song. Con- 
dense it's supposed to be. Nope, never, nope, never, not on your life. But we condensed some other stuff that I'm not sure should have been condensed. <laughs> I'm not saying this is a great show. I am saying it's better than people give it credit for. We race through the climax of the bit. All of a sudden, she's like, I'm leaving. Oh, you, you convinced me to stay. Oh, because I'm legally blonde. Fuck off. <laughs> it's better story development and character progression than you see in some really good shows. How about, how about I agree to this? It's better than Shrek the Musical. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Okay. All right, we're, we're going to move on to my number seven. Thank God. Um... I thought I'd seen it all I thought I knew the score But coming here I found a world I've never seen before Now I know where I belong A life of taste and class With culture and sophistication Pouring out my ass What do I want? I want this I want this! Ah, I want this! I thought I had a real gift, that penny anti grift. But Freddy's getting ready now to give his life a lift. I'm tired of being a chump. I wanna be like Trump. 200 pounds of caviar and one gigantic lump. Give me great big stuff. This is how I gotta live. Okay. In the movie of Dirty Run Scoundrels, C. Martin literally comes on the balcony and literally says, I want this. And the fact that David Yazbek saw this and said, I'm gonna make this a, a musical number, was perfect. He sees a world he could never be a part of because Freddie in the uh, Freddie Trumper in the movie is like a deadbeat. He can't he can't he can't rub two nickels together to make a dime. Um, but he sees this and he's like, "Fuck! If I want, if I don't want this shit," um, and it's a great musical number. This is from Dirty Ron Scoundrels the Musical again, David Yazbek, and once again Norbert Leo Butt singing. Um, it is literally our main character saying, "I want this." And guess what? At the very end, he actually gets something different. He gets the guy who's able to give him all of this stuff. So in a sense, he gets all his stuff, but he also gets a great friendship in between and a great working partnership. So he does get his 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 um a bit. Um, I will say the real reason this is on my list is because of the great wordplay in this song. It's amazing. David Yazbek does his job brilliantly to me. Carson. What is your feeling on this? Is this your your legally blonde to me? It's not. I actually, so this movie, I believe, came out the year that I was born. I was born in 88. I think this movie came out yes. the same year. Yes. So I grew up on the movie. It was one of my grandmother's favorites. And when they made it into a musical, like every other, again, I'm a snob. I need, I'm calling myself out. I was a snob in my teens and 20s. Anything that was a movie that they turned <laughs> poo-pooed again they proved me wrong this is actually a really funny show and they captured a lot of the humor from the movie and again you just copy paste it they evolved it into something different hilarious on a different level but still kept kind of like the charm of the movie and this song you're right it takes like again that moment from the movie and turns it into a whole number and it's perfect to kick off the story 
you know, <laughs> I want some really classy shit. And um, what's he say? I, uh, at the very end, he says, I, I just want someone to love me for my money. <laughs> okay, we're going to move on to number six for Carson. Yes. Number uh, number six, six, coming at you. Which is perfect because uh, this was written by, um, I think he's from Puerto Rico, this man. The man who wrote it. it took him two years to write the song. Can you believe that? I am not thrown away my shot. I am not thrown away my shot. Hey, yo, I'm just like my country. I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not thrown away my shot. I'm gonna get a scholarship to King's College. I probably shouldn't brag, but dag, I'm amazed and astonished. The problem is I got a lot of brains, but no polish. I gotta holler just to be heard with every word. I drop knowledge. I'm a diamond in the rough. A shiny piece of coal, trying to reach my goal. My power of speech, unimpeachable. Only 19, but my mind is older. These New York City streets get cold. I shoulder every burden, every disadvantage. I've learned to manage. I don't have a gun to brandish. I walk these streets famished. The plan is to fan this walk into a flame. But damn, it's getting dark, so let me spell out the name. I am the A-L-E-X-A-N-D-E-R. We are meant to be a colony that runs independently. Meanwhile, Britney keep in on us endlessly. Essentially, they tax us relentlessly. Then King George turns around as a spending spree. He ain't never gonna set his descendants free. So there will be a revolution in this century. Enter me. He says in parentheses. Don't be shocked when your history book mentions me. I will lay down my life if it sets us free. Eventually, you'll see my ascendancy. And I am not thrown away my shot. Okay. Uh... The only reason this is not on my list, and I, it's similar to um, uh, Valjean's soliloquy, is because I knew Carson had it on hers, so I took it off of mine so we could listen to some different tunes. But this is definitely the, a great I Want song. Carson, talk to me about this guy. So this one, just like kind of our generation coming up in theater, you say I want, we think of Fiddler, we think of Gypsy, and those are like, we, we know the songs from those. This is that for this generation of theater kids coming up. It is the new classic. Um, and again, it is a very cool I want song because it's, it gives us a lot of background while also giving us the I want, which is not an easy thing to do, especially in the very beginning of a musical, a lot of times you'll have, we're setting the scene, okay, we're kind of introducing characters, okay, we're kind of giving you some backstory, okay, here's the I Want song. This song mentions to, manages to do a lot of that in one song, um, and I just, I find that very cool. Lin-Manuel Miranda is a brilliant, brilliant man, and the fact that we get to be alive at the same time as him is fantastic. Um, but yeah, this, this song is a great I Want song. It is a quintessential I Want song, but it's also very unique in what it accomplishes. I think if I had the opportunity to meet Lin-Manuel Lin Miranda in any fashion, no matter what it was, I would not throw away my shot. I was waiting for I her. I took a sip of something right when you said that, and I wish I hadn't. <laughs> I was waiting for her. I was waiting for you. I was timing. Oh, you're bad. You're bad. <laughs> what else is there? All right, here we go. My number six coming at you. Again, this is going to be an interesting pick. Oh, hold on. 
Four dollars the gross. This is wrong, this is wrong. I can fix this weight. Nine more boxes in back. Twenty-eight minus nine. And then thirty-one girls on the line. Six and the Times six. One eighty-six. Terribly quiet. Divide seven sixteen. Quite a well-paid position. Got all the noise and ambiance if yet. Go on, Lucy. Four cents a girl for Bring him his coffee At ten cents an hour Straight from New York, Lucille Isn't he smart, Lucille? Mama is coming around today Mama is at the door Mama, I don't know what I should say Well, what are you waiting for? What Are You Waiting For?, which is from the musical Parade, written by Alfred Urey and the amazing Jason Robert Brown. This was Jason Robert Brown's second musical. He started with songs um, from A New World, and this is the first musical he actually wrote for Broadway under the tutelage of um, Hal Prince. He was 25 when he wrote this. Wow. 25. Damn. I know. And it's a brilliant score. One of my favorites of his. Um, just that much up there. Bridges of Madison County is a way better score to me. But he won the Tony for this. I, I don't believe he's the youngest man to win, but damn well close to it. Um, this musical is about a man uh, wrongfully accused of, um, of murdering a young girl. Um, and then the, the, the I want in this is not the guy. Everyone has to understand that the musical is actually not Leo Frank. Everything happens to Leo Frank, and he's the catalyst for everything. But the real lead character of this entire musical is his wife, Lucille Frank. She starts off very mousy, very kind of diminutive, but she grows into this powerful woman who's able to help and basically secure Leo Frank, uh, Leo Frank's release at the end and prove that he is he he, he did not do this he did not kill the girl um he does end up dying um only because um, mob mentality but she and she is strong the entire time and she grows into the character that she is eventually going to become so i love that and it the, the um what are you waiting for lucille is kind of her waiting for something to happen and she doesn't know what it's going to be but she knows something has to happen um but I love this song. I love this musical. Carson, talk to me about this. This is one that I feel like it's not like underrated people know about it, but it's not, it is not like if you say, tell me a musical, there are very few people who this is going to be the first thing they say. Um, her character is fantastic. And I think this is, I love that this song is on your list because this is an underrated show and she is an underrated character and i've said it a million times up here in my head is the entire movie version of parade i literally have it all mapped on my head i know all the angles i know everything i want one of these days one of these days <laughs> when i have enough money to buy buy the rights from hell prince or hell prince no kidding that, that would that would be the tricky part <laughs> just a little bit all right we're gonna go back into the uh wonderful well of Jason Robert Brown coming at you right now on the podcast. Everything you never need to know about movies, music, and theater. This is uh, Carson's number five. We're in the top five, ladies and gentlemen. 
Guess I can't believe you really came And that we're sitting on this pier See, I'm smiling That means I'm happy that you're here I stole this sweater from the costume shop it makes me look like Daisy May. See, we're laughing. I think we're gonna be okay. I mean, we'll have to try a little harder and bend things to and fro to make this love as special as it was five. Okay, so I want to say that I know we were laughing before about um, if we could take Norbert Leo Butts and Anna Kendrick um, and put them in the version, it would be perfect. I have to say though, Sherry Renee Scott's vocals on this are heartbreaking once you know what the context is within the, the show. I think her problem is, and it's a problem that she's always had, She her voice comes off older than she is or older than she's trying to play and it's a very cabaret voice obviously now because she writes her own cabaret shows but that creates a problem when she's trying to play a 20 something year old um in love and you know anna kendrick anna kendrick can definitely play the 20 something she's been playing it most of her career um so but I do like this. It's very wistfully, it's very soulful, it's very kind of, to a certain extent, almost a little bluesy. And I kind of I kind of like that aspect of her. Uh, Carson, talk to me about See, I'm Smiling. Oh, I didn't say it. See, I'm Smiling from the last five years. Jason Rob Brown wrote it. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I love her rendition. The only reason that Anna Kendrick does it for me just a little bit more, and you nailed it right on the head, is that you hear that youthful yearning in Anna Kendrick's voice that she, she doesn't have, and it's no fault of her own, and it is heartbreaking, and it is urgent, it is beautiful. Whatever. It simply just doesn't have that quality, and I really, I, I'm missing that in this version. Um, but the song itself, and actually linking this to the other I Want song from the last five years, it is funny because Jamie's story is going forward and Kathy's story is going backwards. But for both of them, their I want doesn't change. Forward and backwards. They they both are very different people at the beginning toward, or the end of the show and like we're rewinding on Kathy. They're very different people. But what they want and how it frames their priorities change. So that's why I really kind of love the juxtaposition of I want songs, because um, yeah, Jamie wants the glitz, the glamour, the success, the I'm youthful superstar. Happy wants to make love work. She marriage work, her relationship work. She is so happy to finally be in a love that she thought she could trust. 
and that's where you see their wants and their priorities and they don't change even though we're seeing five years in different directions mm -hmm. and i think that just makes this song all the more heartbreaking because we do start with kathy and we do know that this great love story that we're seeing unfold doesn't work in the end. It falls apart spectacularly. And it, she just breaks your heart with this one. Yeah, this, this, this musical is a tour de force for two amazing actors. And I know, um, I don't know if she listens to it, but, but a friend of mine has mentioned before, and I'd be very interested, I would love to see a gender bend between the two. I'd love to see what that look would look like. I would adore that. Yeah. All right, Jason, get on that. Jason, okay. <laughs> like I fucking know him. <laughs> Gotta do it. I know. All right. Uh, so we're coming on my number five, ladies and gentlemen, coming up here on the podcast, Everything You Never Need to Know About Movies, Music, and Theater. That's a cute dog. I'm going to cut this. Puppy. <laughs> no puppy. <laughs> no puppy. It's seven o'clock in the morning I lift my eyes to autumn skies I look out through the graveyard A silhouetted swallow flies He flies to distant countries I lose him just behind a cloud I yearn to be that swallow So I have done a um, a version of, um, or I've done an episode of um, about Jane Eyre with my friend Amelia, which is one of our favorite musicals um, together equally. So I'm not going to go too much into this, but this is a great I Want song for those who don't know what's going on. Jane Eyre basically, at the time she's a woman, unfortunately they were not able to find their ways in the world they were meant to be a governor so they were meant to take care of someone else's kids or you know just inherit money if anyone's seen little women it's very similar in that regard as well all she wants is her liberty she's she's yearning for liberty she's she's yearning for um uh guidance from god to basically give her a life that she always wanted and this is a great I want song because you can hear the yearning you can hear the pushing of time you can hear her like wanting to liberate herself but at the time she did not know how because of the time frame she's living in um, I had an amazing chance to see this on Broadway with um, with uh, Maria Schaefer and I I'm so upset that my mother wanted to see Chicago for the umpteen time with the terrible Louis Costa Jr. in the lead role because it was awful. It was an awful, awful time. And my mother has said, if I had known it was this awful, we would have just seen Jane Eyre. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? Carson, talk to me about this one. First of all, I'm judging your mom a little bit. Chicago does not need to be seen more than maybe twice if it's got a great cast. Seen that show once, you've seen it, it's done. <laughs> I want to disagree. <laughs> yeah. I love this song 
because it provides real emotion to something that we all kind of learned in the history books. Um, it's similar, similar to Hamilton in that like it takes something we all knew and we all learned about and kind of in the back of our mind knew. You talk about of women in that age and the choices or lack thereof that they were given. And we, yeah, no, it was bad for women back then. Oh yeah, no, it was bad for women back then. This song gives such profound emotion to something that everyone kind of writes off as a chapter in history that you learned in eighth grade. Um, and I think she does a beautiful job. And the song itself, whoever's singing it, it does a really, really kind of cool job of bringing emotion to that and explaining it in simple but profound ways. Absolutely right. Okay. We're coming on to Carson's number four, ladies and gentlemen. Number four coming at you at the podcast. Everything you never need to know about movies, music, and theater. Multum ile et teris yactatus et alto. We superum sci-wi All that's known history in science overthrown at school at home by blind men you doubt them and soon they bark and hound you till everything you say is just another bad about you all they say is trust in what is written wars are made and somehow that is wisdom thought is suspect and money is their idol and nothing is okay unless it's scripted in their bible but i know there's so much more to find just in looking through myself and not at them okay all that's known which is from spring awakening uh Music by Duncan Sheik and lyrics by uh, Stephen uh, Sater. Um, I will say that all through college, this was on repeat when I would be going to class. I swear to God. And especially the fact that I went to school in such a oppressive Catholic college that in the song, he's questioning not just his learning, he's questioning the doctrine, he's questioning his faith, he's questioning everything, which is what young kids do. At, at any given time, a young kid becomes atheist, and it ends up becoming whether or not they stay atheist or they grow into at least um, accepting some sort of, not religion, I don't want to say religion, but spirituality, that there's, a, there's something else beyond themselves. Um, all young kids go through this, and this isn't, this isn't a new concept, but it's, it's explained so well in this musical it's wonderful. It's a wonderful, wonderful version of it. Carson, talk to me about this one. This is your number four. This is my number four. Um, so a lot of people look at me funny when I say this is an underrated musical because everyone's like, oh my gosh, it was so, it was so huge. It was everywhere. You couldn't go anywhere without thinking, hearing about it, seeing it. it a big deal. It didn't have staying power. Mm. Not talked about anymore. It is very rarely mounted anymore outside of a cool community theater doing it or a small revival 
ish, kinda. Um, and I think it's because it does have really uncomfortable subjects. And it's questioning things that we still pretend to hold as very dear values. And it questions that shit. And it makes you like, no, you're wrong. This is bad. This is literally murdering your children. And I don't, I don't necessarily know if we were ready for it. And I think it was embraced by younger people and more, I would say more open-minded older people because these are, these are themes and questions that we've had um, throughout time. Like you said, every, every kid has this moment of, what the fuck? What are you doing? This doesn't make sense. I don't get it. This is wrong. This doesn't feel right to me. And I love that this song is the I Want song for this show because it has that theme for the whole show. It talks about how pressure we put on kids leads to suicide. It talks about how purity culture leads to back alley abortions and death. These are not comfortable topics. I had the absolute pleasure of seeing the show when it was at the Colonial in Boston. And I went with my then boyfriend and we were sitting and we were both theater kids and a grandmother brought her like nine-year-old to the show. And we're like, oh, go, oh no, oh no. <laughs> cause she just, it was a grandma who brought her granddaughter to the theater cause it's a popular show and why not? And it's, they're uncomfortable themes, but I, I love how this show, this song sets up the show and I love how this theme of questioning is brought to you in the I Want song is, I want to question, I want to follow my gut in a society that's telling me to do anything but that. I, I absolutely agree. The only thing to me that's bad about Spring Awakening the musical, I'm too old to play any of the roles anymore. I'm angry that I have aged out of Vendela. I, I am forever angry that I've aged out of Vendela. I would be the, the mom who tries to help the kid who kills himself now, and I'm bitter about it. Yeah. But I'm bitter about it. Well, and I, I'd, be, I'd probably end up being the uh, Steven Smanella character, the, uh, the, the, I, and I hate him. I hate him so much. He's a bastard. He's, yeah. he's, that, uh, he's that analogy for every sucky man. <laughs> Yeah, and I I don't need that. I have I have oh. other I have other roles I would want to play, but yeah, I would have loved to play Melchior. It would have been so amazing to me. Yep. Um, I just I learned to sing too late. <laughs> but um, all right, I might have a chance to do the lighting design. If I can do the lighting design, then at least I'll be somewhat close to being excitable. All right, let's move on to my number four. This one might be an obscure musical, and I'm surprised it wasn't on my list when we did obscure musicals, but here we go. Hot Sunday night, I guess the folks were busy fighting. Joe'd already left home. Eleven years old on my own, feeling nothing but lonely. There's nothing to do, there's nothing out there but the traffic. Down on State 93 So I'd sit through the night By our old black and white TV and that's where I saw it And that's when I heard it Colleen, Colleen Me
Okay, for those who have puzzled looks on your face, this musical is, so this is uh, Disneyland, which is from the musical Smile. This has the distinction of being only the third musical Howard Ashman wrote ever. Uh, the very first musical he wrote was um, God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater. Um, the second one was Little Shop of Horrors, and then this was the third. This was on Broadway, very shortly, but it was on Broadway. It, uh, uh, with, and he wrote this with uh, Marvin Hamlish. It's so sad that this did not, this musical did not work, and this musical did not take off like it should have. Um, I will say I think we should be grateful for the fact it didn't, because it, had it, had it not, it is truth that Jody Benson would not have been Ariel. Howard Ashman gave Ariel to Jody Benson because he felt terrible. The fact that um, Smile uh, uh, did not work and it closed so abruptly. And that's who's singing right now is Ariel is singing <laughs> about Disneyland, which is quite funny. Um, I love this song. This is her want. She, it's not that she wants to go to Disneyland. It is. But it's that she wants to get away from her life. She wants to get away from her, again, preferential life, and get away from her parents who argue and fight, and be in a place that there is magic. And it's it's beautiful. And again, it's the same kind of I Want song with part of your world. I mean, Ariel singing it, that's ironic. Um, and the same as like somewhere that's green. It's even sadder at the very end because she actually doesn't get it either. <laughs> she just can't catch a break, this girl. Um, uh, Carson, do you know this song? Do you know Smile at all? Or I have heard of it. This I, I kind of caught you off guard with baby. This is, this is my baby. I, I know that it exists. I knew Jodie Benson was in it. I vaguely knew that she, something to do with her getting the role of Ariel was because of a flopped show. Um, but no, I, didn't, I did not know the context of it until now. It takes place at a beauty pageant. There was a movie version, Smile, that uh, Jerry, uh, Jerry Nelson wrote. 60s, I think. So <laughs> it's nice to see that Howard Ashman went from the... Uh, went from the 40s and the 50s with uh, Little Shop of Horrors and he eventually got to the 60s at least. Um, <laughs> it is sad though it, it, that to imagine, so this was the last musical he did on Broadway. It was also when he was asked, he was, they were at some interview and they were present, they were talking about Little Mermaid and they were just about to start work on um, um, Dream the Beast and he was asked, do you have any um, uh, theatrical projects ahead and he says I don't because he was so beaten down by smile that everyone hated it so much that he was like I gotta, I can't do this anymore and it would have been amazing had he lived to see if he actually eventually would have gotten back to um, Broadway especially with the fact that they did Beauty and the Beast he probably would have had to have had a big role in writing the lyrics and doing that and and there is rumor I, I think um Alan Menken did confirm that he was supposed to write the lyrics for Newsies. 
it would have been interesting. It would have been very interesting to see Howard Ashman tackle that. I don't know how it would have been, but I, knowing Howard, it probably would have been amazing. All right. From one sad man who died of AIDS to another sad man who did not die of AIDS, but died of an aortic aneurysm uh, coming at you. Uh, Carson's number uh, 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 three. Bringing the happy. One song, glory, one song before I go, glory, one song to leave behind, find, one song, one last refrain, glory, from the pretty boy front man, who wasted opportunity, one song, yeah, the world at his feet. Glory in the eyes of a young girl. A young girl. Find glory beyond the cheap colored lights. So it's no surprise. This is no surprise. Uh, Carson and I talked for two and a half hours about Rent. It's no surprise. One song, Glory from Rent, written by Jonathan Larson. An amazing song, amazing sentiment and Roger really being the the emotional focal point along with um, Mimi of this and this particular version everyone plays the um, Adam Pascal and I love my Adam Pascal but Will Chase knocks us out of the park like only he could and almost up there with what Adam initially did and the fact that he was the last uh, Roger on Broadway you got to give it to this man. Um, Carson, talk to me about One Song Glory from Rent. I, I mean, no one's surprised that this is on my list. Like we said, this is, this was bound to be on there. Um, I love this song because it's another one that has meaning than you'd expect. He wants that one song. He wants, before he goes... He wants that one thing that he's been trying for his whole life, and God, if I can just get it done before I die. But then if you peel it back, and especially knowing the context of Jonathan Larson, knowing that Jonathan Larson died before seeing what Rent became just makes the whole thing a whole lot sadder. These last couple songs are like Mr. Happy Time. Um, but it's, yes, it's about his song. Yes, it's about achieving that goal before he dies it's about mattering i want to matter before i die i don't want to be a statistic i don't want to fade away and be nothing and have left nothing behind so while yes it's the i want song i want to write that one great song that secures my place in history and someone will remember me but when you really strip it down it's i don't want to go before i matter and then as we go through the, sh the show yeah, he writes his one song, he finds his song, but he also finds out that he matters to a whole lot of people. And so it, it has, he kind of has the double reward of, he gets what he literally wants and what he was really looking for all along. He gets that too. And it's, it's sad because this I want could have, was written by Jonathan, but could have been written very autobiogra autobiographically. I'm trying to 
make this mark. I'm, I've got this inside of me and I want to get it out and I want to make my mark. Um, and he was kind of a quiet, shy guy with a lot of people. So having that effect on people and being a part of this kind of community was something that he did yearn for. And so his life and Roger's song lined up next to each other just makes it tragically beautiful. 100% agree. Um, I will, I'll be, I'll be honest, um, speaking as the writer between the two of us, um, that is literally what we all want, to write one great, whether it's a song, if you're a songwriter like myself, whether it's a play, like a playwright like myself, whether it's a musical, like a musicalist like myself, um, we want to write one thing. Um, my mishap is that I chose three different things, so I want to do three different things before I die. So <laughs> I'm kind of fucked. <laughs> or you've got more chances. Right side, trying to find some in this lovely, happy time we're having here. <laughs> Oh, yeah, because I have all the time in the world right now. That's <laughs> true. I don't know. You uh, just got a baby. I don't know. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. A friend of mine asked me, can't you just let him run around while you work? I'm like, you've never had kids, right? That's not how babies work, <laughs> sir. No. <laughs> Alrighty, here we go. My number three. This song, which is uh, What Baking Can Do from the musical Waitress, uh, written by Sarah Bareilles. Um, this song is deceptively simple and about many different things. Within this context, um, Jenna, the main character, is working at a, a diner, not very happy, uh, is in a relationship, um, is she married? I think, she, no, she's not married. They're together. No, they're together. Um, he's very mentally and physically abusive to her. Um, and she also just finds out that she is pregnant with his child. All this is going in her head and she has a talent for baking, which she got from her mother. She is trying to figure out a way for baking to um, fix everything. Like, she knows how to do baking. She knows, oh, I can do this to fix this. I can fix this. But now she's looking at her life and she's like, I don't know how to fucking fix this. And it's a, it's her, I want to make order out of all of this chaos that is happening. Again, it is deceptively simple for the fact that she's making a fucking pie. And 
it's a it's a pie that she's like oh i can easily put lemon wedges or cut it up or whatever but you can't you can't make do the same thing with a uh, with life um i just love this song i actually love the original version of it there's a version um on a soundtrack that Severellis actually put out called door number three which was the initial draft of this it's good but it doesn't have the same kind of um uh, sentiment and or the simplicity of it this does its job absolutely well carson you must know waitress in this song i do i this is again another movie that was made into a musical and i i was an early and huge fan of the movie and the backstory of the movie is fucking heartbreaking talk about somebody not getting to see what their work became, for people who don't know, the screenwriter and director of the movie, Adrienne Shelley, was murdered. Um, she was in the movie. She's fantastic. If you haven't seen the movie, absolutely check it out. It's got Nathan Fillion. It's got Adrienne Shelley. They're so good. Um, but it gave way to this musical, which, oh, again, I kind of rolled my eyes because I loved the movie so much. I'm like, Yo, you're making this into a musical? Are you kidding me? This can't be a musical. What the hell? And again, I was proved wrong. This is a beautiful show. And this song sets up the entire show so well. And again, first time songwriter, uh, first time a Broadway songwriter in Sarah Bareilles. And she knocked it out of the park. Absolutely. Um, yeah. How could you forget Carrie Russell? Carrie Russell's in it. She's the Carrie Russell's in it. Yeah. Carrie Russell and Nathan Fillion are uh, unlikely love duo. It's very unlikely. It's so weird, but I love it. It's a little weird. Okay. Oh, Miss Alphaba. We may try to suppress or hide is a talent that could help me meet the wizard if I make good. So Wicked, uh, The Wizard and I, obviously, whatever whatever musical would have The Wizard and I as a title of a song. Uh, Stephen Schwartz, the musical, uh, Stephen Schwartz, the musical, Stephen Schwartz wrote the musical um, with Winnie Holtz doing the book. Um, the only thing I will say right now, and I'll throw it off to Carson because this was her choice, uh, 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 Stephen Schwartz went through 20 different songs before finally finding the song it took him forever and i think he didn't find it until um after the out of town tryout so i think this was like one of those kind of 
he found this in San Francisco at like the end hour or something. Um, it's in the book. Uh, if anyone wants to read uh, Stephen Schwartz's uh, uh, Defying Gravity, it's a whole book about his creations of musicals. It's really good. Carson, talk to me about this one. This is another I want that I because I never. I like Legally Blonde, and I never thought I'd be comparing Legally Blonde to Wicked, and I'm a little surprised that I'm doing it, but like Legally Blonde, it starts out with an I want. That is not what she wants at the end, and she has to, it sets off her growth and her development. Um, she thinks this is what she wants, and through her trials and tribulations, finds out what she really wants, finds out her real worth, finds out that it doesn't lie with anyone else, um, and that to some extent, some of what she wanted, she, had she done things differently, been in a different situation, looked at things differently. Um, and this kicks off, kicks off the show perfectly. Also really kicks off Elphaba's character development of this is what I want. This is my goal. And she does technically get it, but she gets it in the middle and then she realizes this is not what I want. This, did, this didn't fix it. And then that starts her off on kind of her full part B, which I really enjoy. Yeah, this is a great, this is, um, I don't think it's, it can be considered an underrated musical, but it's an underappreciated musical because there's a lot of critics and a lot of people who say that it's not that good of a musical. I think it's great. I've only seen it once live on on uh, at the uh, what was called the Wang Theater at the time. Now it's called Bank of America Theater, or whatever in Boston. So uh, I don't remember. <laughs> but uh, 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 this is a great musical. It's underappreciated. It's not an obscure one. Everyone knows this, but it's very underappreciated, and it really needs to have a second look because guess what? It has lasted since all these years now. And the fact that it is in the process right now being made into a movie and that we still care about the fact that it's being made into a movie, that says volumes for, for, the, for the piece itself. Yeah, it's, it's got staying power. I think you're exactly right. It's not like, you can't say appreciated, you can't say underrated. I would say almost under understood. It's, you could deep dive so much deeper than, it's about the Wicked Witch of the West from a different perspective and it's got great songs and I'm 13 years old, love theater and I can belt defying gravity, look at me. That's fantastic and it's a great door for a lot of people to come into the theater world, which I appreciate it for. But yeah. the story itself is so much more complex than I think a lot of people give it credit for. Yeah, and um, that was a great impression of yourself at 13 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I was never a belter. I was the annoying soprano. No, no, you tried to be a belter and then you realized you couldn't because <laughs> you did the soprano thing. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. Seriously. Tell I mean, me. this is not what this podcast is about, but I, yeah, no, I never tried to be the oh, belter for those roles. I, I loved being me. I loved a B character. Give me a B character any day. I would love it. Like the best friend always, I'm there. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I shouldn't say anything. I've gone. I've gone out of the, my head of thinking I was a leading actor, and I am a character actor, just the way it is. All right. My number two coming at you. Purpose. It's that little flame that lights a fire under your ass. <laughs> Purpose. 
It keeps you going strong like a car with a full tank of gas. Everyone else has a purpose, so what's mine? Huh. Oh look, here's a penny. It's from the year I was born. It's a sign. Ha! Ba -ba -ba -ba, doo -doo 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 -doo. Okay, this is so. We were talking about staying power. This is what won the Tony over Wicked. You have to realize, okay, you have ah. to put yourself, if, you, if anyone's ever seen the documentary um, Show Business, The Road to Broadway, it's literally about this. It is Wicked versus Avenue Q. Avenue Q was the musical that, uh, that could, because it ended up winning Best Book, Best Score, Best Director, and Best Musical, whereas Stephen Schwartz's Wicked won nothing. But yet it has remained in the zeitgeist all these years. That tells you something. But I will say, no, I will say, when Avenue Q first came out, I did nothing but shit on it because I was a wicked, wicked lover. And I was like, fuck the musical that has puppets that, you know, is not as good as Wicked. Well, I ate my words when I started getting into puppetry myself. And I realized how much work it takes to do this and then i looked into the musical and i'm like oh my god this is hilarious this is funny maybe i just gotten older and not only that it there's a purpose to the purpose there's a purpose to the musical and there's a heart to the musical and i was like so now i'm on the boat of i love avenue q and i love wicked uh this song particularly i fell in love with the minute i heard it because it's it's a guy just out of college, trying to find his meaning in life. I was that guy, you know, 10 years ago, trying to figure out what I was going to do. I was just getting off uh, alcohol and drugs. So I was trying to find myself and I can relate to this guy. And this guy, he, I mean, he ends up being kind of an asshole, but he, it, but he's, he's our hero. And he's the guy that we want to eventually find, find the, um, the manner in which he wants to live his life. Now, the other thing, now the kind of arbitrary reason I love this song was that um, uh, that clarinet at the very beginning, when the music builds up after he finds the penny and the, you know, the I love that clarinet. For some reason that just speaks wonders to me and I love it. Carson, talk to me about Avenue Q and Purpose. Avenue Q was a musical, like, again, I heard about it and it was in my world. Um, the acting program that I did during the summers, they actually were one of the um, first off-Broadway to stage it. It was very strange seeing Avenue Q done with children. Uh, that was an interesting one to see the junior version of. <laughs> you can make all the noise you want while you're making love. <laughs> yeah, no, we cut that song. That song was cut and uh, as was the internet is, no, the internet is for porn was not cut. We just didn't allow the little kids to see that show. But You Can Be Loud As The Hell You Want was in fact cut. Um, yeah, no, I like this show. It has, it has its place in the musical theater world. It has its purpose. <laughs> um, and it is, I will still to this day find it strange that it did the award sweep over Wicked. I am not Team Avenue Q or Team Wicked. I just, 
just on on paper, Wicked is a better show. It's not much better. It's not like, oh, it's better than this horrible show, Avenue Q. Avenue Q was good. I think it was a novelty because it was the first of its kind to do what it did. Um, so I understand that. It is a great show, but yeah, of, of that whole duel between the shows, I'm like, I, I get the bitterness. It's it's a weird, it was a weird one to win over Wicked. Um, but no, it's a good show, and the song is awesome. It sets everything up so well. The only The only thing that is so sad also about Wicked is you look at the the two guys who wrote Avenue Q Robert Lopez and Jeffrey Marks these are two guys who were essentially at the time best friends they were talking to each other daily they were writing the show together they were companions they weren't companions he one of them was gay the other had a girlfriend uh, who is now his wife they would never write another show again because they had so many uh, disagreements during the show that they were going to write next, which was the Book of Mormon. That's right. The two guys who wrote Avenue Q and the two guys who write South Park were going to combine as a, uh, a quartet to write um, the Book of Mormon. But the problem was that even though Jeff Marks and Robert Lopez had a little bit more experience on Broadway, uh, uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone had a little bit more experience with being funny and being successful. And so everything moved that way. And uh, Jeff Marks was politely asked to, um, to vacate his spot as a creator because he was arguing too much with Trey and Matt. Um, I know for a fact that he and Robert Lopez have never collaborated ever again. They have been cordial to each other during reunions for Avenue Q and what have you, but it's really sad. And it's kind of also sad the fact that Robert Lopez then went on to work with his wife um, and they wrote Frozen together. Everything else that's that. Robert Lopez has written, it's basically been with his wife. And his wife is, it's not as good. I would have liked to see Jeff Marks do more with him and write more lyrics and things. But, you know, I'm not saying she's terrible. I will say that the one musical she wrote without her husband tanked, which is in transit, and it's a terrible show. Maybe she's not that great. And maybe she's just riding her husband's coattails. I'm not saying anything against her. I'm just saying these are these are facts and these are things. All right, Carson, you're number one. This was a late entry for Carson. It was. Show me, I want to know about these strangers 
And this is your number one. Yes. Strangers Like Me from the musical version of Tarzan. Music and lyrics by uh, Phil Collins, based on the Disney uh, um, motion picture, anime and motion picture. I would love to hear your explanation on why a song, really kick ass song, a really good song, from a terribly, terrible, terrible, awful musical major number one major number one spot i really want to hear this <laughs> um okay so again that's not wrong this is not a good show this is i know stretch of the imagination a good show with the exception of a musical standpoint when this was a music um music when this was a movie phil collins went way harder than he needed to this was movie about the guy with, with the monkeys? Like, really? We're, we're going this full out for that movie? There is a hysterical parody floating around online, which is, it's like, if we were in the listening room at Disney that day when Phil Collins previewed and everyone, you know this is for the, for the Jungle movie? Like, why, why, why this hard? Um, so the fact that all this music is beautiful. And again, movie to musical would have easy to just copy paste because the music was already gorgeous but he really rewrote and reworked a lot of these songs and added some songs that the mother and father gorilla song also this musical makes me cry every time again horrible show such a bad show um but the reason that this is in number one and again we've talked about this coming from the writing analytical standpoint and the more sentimental meaning to you is this song has been with me um, and Matt knows I've moved around a lot. I've bounced around from city to city. Um, uh, theater kind of took me all over the place and I loved it, but it, you are, you're picking up your life and you're moving to a lot of different places. And so this song always kind of stayed with me because everywhere I went, I was looking for those strangers like me. I was looking for those people that I could find that you're like me. I see this and it's so strange that wherever I go, I find those strangers like me. And that's where I make my home and my community. Um, and for, in the context of the show, very, very bad show. I'm not, I can't even begin to argue that point is bad. But it does set up that I want. And unlike the movie, this also gives an I want to Jane. Jane has a part in the musical version where she doesn't in the movie version. Um, and I kind of like that. That is the one good thing I will say about this musical is we developed Jane a little bit more. That is the only, music and Jane got some good character development that that character deserved. Those are the two good things about an otherwise awful show. But this song is just beautiful. And the orchestration for the musical version is mind-blowing. See, I think it's quite interesting, the fact that Phil Collins went so hard on Tarzan that when it came to Big Brother, he, it was so nothing. I he was like tapped out. <laughs> Well, not only that, I feel like he could have, you could have done a little more on that side with Big Brother, because Big Brother was such a great concept and such, it could have been a great movie. You had a great Walking Phoenix in the lead and you have some good songs there. Um, 
um, uh, Look Through Your Eyes and uh, The Welcome Song. But you stopped there. You had a whole... Anyway, I could go on and on about... I'm not a Phil Collins hater. I will say that. I do not hate Phil Collins. I think his contribution to music is undeniable. And I think he's actually a brilliant, brilliant musician and composer. Um, Tarzan is a great example of the fact that he... Yes, he was singing the songs, but he wasn't thinking of it as, oh, I need to write for Phil Collins. I'm writing for this part in this musical. And um, and Carson knows this. I'm a big supporter of Tarzan Rocks, which was down in the animal kingdom. There's a lot of people who disagree with me, but I will, for, that will be on my uh, uh, tombstone. He supported Tarzan Rocks. Um, Carson, you make sure that's on my tombstone. I will, I will talk your wife and make sure she knows. Um, considering I'm not getting a tombstone, I'm getting cremated. <laughs> we'll, we'll sketch it on the urn. We'll, we'll engrave it right there. But you're right. The music is good. Um, listen, Phil Collins is not just in the air tonight, which is a terrible song, by the way. Um, he has other great songs. He has some really good tunes. And in fact, one of my favorite albums is Invisible Touch by Genesis, which is the first album that he was the lead singer and lead um, songwriter after um, the previous vocalist left. I can't think of his name right now, but you know, you know what I mean. Yeah. All right. Great choice. Again, horrible, horrible musical. Horrible musical. Horrible show, but good song. Yeah. All right. Let's end on a high note. Okay. <laughs> There's a house in Mount Kisco that I saw from the train when I went to my college reunion. It was sort of old-fashioned and a little bit plain, but I saw there were swings in the yard. And I looked at that swing set and without any warning, I was totally grieving like a woman in mourning. And all that I wanted was a house in Mount Kisco with a rusty swing set for our baby to ride somewhere in New York winds okay so this is anywhere but here which is from the musical honeymoon in Vegas who wrote this Jason Robert Brown Yes, he wrote a musical about Vegas, and he wrote some damn good Vegas stuff. So much so that Stephen Sondheim, when this musical came out, Stephen Sondheim said the, the quote, musical comedy form of theater returned. Sondheim couldn't talk enough about this musical, but it was lost. It got lost and didn't get the press it deserved. And, um, and Dessert, it, it, it's a little obscure, but it's one of my favorites. I love this score. Um, but this particular I want is our character, Betsy. She has been <laughs> engaged to be engaged with her man for years and years and years. And she is getting tired of waiting. And she just wants him to make a move to get married. And so she can have that white picket fence. It's very much on the same level of... Um, somewhere that's green except she's just getting tired of fucking waiting for this guy and she is saying um if he doesn't wise up i will be anywhere else but right here because i'm just so sick of his fucking waiting um 
Jason R. Brown does this brilliantly. And as we've seen, he can write female songs so well. I think he is one of the best female songwriters out there to write strong females. Uh, Carson, do you have an opinion on this one? This was another show that I, just on concept alone, I was like, eh. No, I'm, I'm so suspect. I'm so highly suspect. Um, and going into it, because I, I kind of found out about it a little bit later on. So I knew that it had the respect of a lot of musical giants, like you said, like Sondheim. But it was one of those, I'm like, I'm still suspect. This seems weird. And the story, it's a classic story, but it is kind of with some weird twists in it. So it is a, a strange story, but a story told in a strange way. Really good. And like you said, it has this simple, simple start that kicks us off through our really funny, crazy story. Yeah, it's really crazy. And again, with purpose, you know how I usually uh, uh, look at these things from a um, from a story point of view because I'm a writer. I think of this also from a musical standpoint of view because the music is so beautiful and especially at one point again, like purpose, is one instrument that gets me. of the saxophone and the trumpet just doing that dun, 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 dun. that made me cry the first time I heard it because I was like oh my god Jason what are you doing because I know you do your own orchestrations you know fuck off Jason <laughs> um, but anyway yes so uh, that is our top 10 list of um, musical I want songs um, a great list on both ends not because not only just because I did my own and Carson did her own, but they were very smart. We were able to defend it. Um, what didn't make our list? Um, uh, uh, please send me your top 10 lists. I really want to thank my guest, uh, Carson, for coming back. This is our third in the series. Uh, coming up, we'll be talking, I think, I can't remember the next uh, uh, list I gave you, but it will be something uh, about musicals and the uh, uh, idioms of musical musical theater, uh, like it's done before. Um, but I really want to thank you for uh, uh, coming on to uh, the show tonight and spending some time with me, Carson. Thank you for having it. It's Act One finales up next, isn't it? Yes, you're right. Act One finale. So if you're out there and you're thinking about your own Act One finales card let's see what we got um thank you all for listening please check out other episodes please check out my other podcast movie critics a web series uh season one is completely up uh so you can binge that if you're a binger and season two is on its way i am currently writing it and we will be recording it soon and it will premiere probably the end of august early september a couple more uh, script readings are coming your way and a couple more things coming along your way and i'm very excited for but other than that uh if you have your vaccine, God love you. Uh, please be safe. Have a great night. Take care of yourselves, and we'll see you next time. When you're looking to plan your next Disney World, Disneyland, or Disney Cruise Line vacation, we suggest you reach out to Danielle Elliott at Marvelous Mouse Travels. Danielle is a long, uh, lifelong Disney enthusiast, a former Walt Disney World cast member, and a graduate of the College of Disney Knowledge. 
When you book with her, your booking includes 100% free concierge level services, uh, some of which include customizing the perfect Disney vacation package for you and your family and your budget, uh, booking those difficult to secure fast passes and dining reservations, uh, providing tips and tricks to get out the most of your vacation and more. Uh, Danielle also monitors Disney promotions to help you save money for those uh, Disney trip veterans still be in control of all the details. Danielle will take care of all your needs so you can have all the fun and truly say Akuna Matata throughout your time at Disney. Contact her for your free quote at danielle.elliot at marvelousmousetravels, one word, dot com or by messenger, messen, messaging her on her Facebook page.